0: On your Tuesday episode of Locked On Raptors, Pascal Siakam seems to be nearing a return, and so it's time to look back at his time out of the lineup. What did we learn about Scottie Barnes and OG Ananobi? Also, are the Raptors going to be able to survive being a team of extremes? We will dig into those questions and more with our dear friend James Herbert of CBSSports.com. It's all coming up on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for hanging. Oh, because like, when I shot I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot trying to mess, so. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1287 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, November the 22nd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering your toronto raptors for nine seasons you can find me on twitter at woodley sean you can find all my work on various platforms uh, mostly just through twitter so just follow me there i got my newsletter post touches you can subscribe to and all that good stuff and uh, you can find the show at locked on raptors as well you can also follow subscribe to rate and review the show for free on your favorite podcast apps and we are on youtube in video form each and every day so you can go support the show that way as well and it's much appreciated You just hit the big red subscribe button and you can't miss it and you've supported the show and done a good service for me so thank you for doing that all right on today's show we got a lot to dig into with our pal James Herbert as it seems like Pascal Siakam per the reporting yesterday from practice is nearing a return at some point here Gary Trent Jr. and uh, Chris Boucher as well seemingly back on the mend from being sick and so maybe just maybe the hellish landscape of the Raptors injury report is about to get a little less hellish and joining me today to dig into a great many Toronto Raptors raptors questions as this sort of on hold portion of the raptors season seemingly comes to an end is our pal james herbert from com. james how the hell are you buddy i am great thank
1: you so much for having
0: me Really happy to have you on the show. Before we dive into our uh, Raptors-related questions, I should tell you today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp as the world's largest therapy service. BetterHelp has matched three million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available one hundred percent online. Learn more and save ten percent off your first month at BetterHelp.com/slash. Locked on NBA. All right, James, we're going to dig into some sort of big picture questions about the Raptors today. We're going to talk about their sort of world of extremes that they live in and whether that's sustainable over the course of the full season, but... As we mentioned yesterday from practice, positive signs and news regarding Pascal Siakam, Gary Trent Jr., Chris Boucher. Hopefully, more uh, to come today as well. As the Raptors have another off day in this very weird, sparse part of the schedule, much welcomed for sure. Uh, and it seems as though Pascal Siakam is inching towards a return, which will completely change the Raptors team, as we know, because he's very good. Um, it kind of gives us a chance <laughs> now, though, to look back at the last eight games during which the Raptors are four and four since Siakam went out, and kind of. What have we learned? I kind of said this was a bit of a holding pattern for the Raptors in terms of like any analysis on the team to be done. But obviously things happen. You take it in. You learn lessons, all that good stuff. Uh, and I feel like two guys who we might have learned the most about during this stretch, or at least were kind of front facing the most, were OG Ananobi and Scotty Barnes. Let's start with OG, James. What do you think we've learned about Ananobi over the last eight games. He's averaging north of 20 points in this stretch. He's obviously just an incredible defensive player, ripping balls out of John Collins' hands and running the other way and dunking it seemingly every time he gets a chance. Uh, he's been awesome. You could argue he's a very real competitor for Defensive Player of the Year so far. What have your impressions of OG been in terms of how he's kind of weathered this extreme burden of not having Siakam around, not to mention all the other guys who haven't been available? He's been like the one constant all the way through the season. Uh, how how has he fared in your eyes and what have we learned about him as a player do you think i think
1: he's fared about as well as you could have hoped i mean he's mm-hmm. still playing at all defense level and then offensively the usage is up the shot attempts are up the points are up all of that but he's not trying to bc ockham yeah and that is i think what what you want if you're the raptors i, I thought kind of at the very beginning of this season the way OG was playing on offense was like a bit of a mixed bag. He was trying to create a little too much, just one-on-one, get into his mid-range game, that kind of thing. And they're kind of throwing possessions away, doing that. Um, <laughs> you still see like a little bit of that in his game, but for the most part, making quick decisions, really like bulldozing his way to the paint, um, taking open threes and all that kind of thing. But a lot of the time he's like attacking a defense that's already been bent um he's a guy that if he gets a step then it's really really hard to keep him away from the basket um and he has a lot of athleticism he has a lot of quickness he has a ton of strength there too so like once he gets a full head of steam i mean it's kind of over and the way that he's piling up these points shows i think kind of what the ideal role is for him i don't know that the just pure number of shot attempts will be the same when Siakam comes back, it shouldn't be, mm-hmm. but he can still play this style of basketball, and that this is like, you know, exactly I think what the Raptors want, need, and I, is that the pathway for him to make an All Star team or win Most Improved Player or all this other stuff? Like, I don't know, mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know that the volume is going to be there, but I think just in terms of him establishing himself as, you know. Something close to like you know like a sub all star level, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's way more than a role player, but not quite a s- traditional conventional star. Um, Like th- this is this is kind of it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I've made the point before that his kind of ideal role within the Raptors' offense is the Pascal Siakam role from the title team. It's he's very efficient. He Uh, shoots a lot of catch-and-shoot threes. Obviously, he's got a bit more of a three-point bag than Siakam ever did, which is obviously huge. Uh, And it's sort of capitalized on opportunities. He's the opportunist-in-chief on this team where, Mm -hmm. you know, extra attention is paid one way, it swings to him on the second side, and there are very few dudes in the NBA who are more terrifying on a second-side drive than O.G. Ananobi, because why on earth, if you're a sane person, would you stand in front of that guy if you're playing defense? He's... (laughs) A truck. Um, And I feel like, you know, we've seen the little sprinklings of extra creation and that's great to see. The fact that, you know, he's kind of dipping his toes into those waters. But yeah, I would expect that we'll probably see that dissipate a little bit once Siakam gets back. And I think that's a good thing. It kind of puts everybody kind of into their role. And look, the thing about Pascal Siakam... Dude sees a lot of detention, and like that leads yeah. to lots of good looks for everybody else. And so, yeah, maybe the shot diet's a little smaller. Maybe it's a, a little bit less sort of geared towards OG once Siakam gets back. But I do kind of find it, and this is honestly why I think if you're talking about like the Raptors when they're at their sort of full health, they're using their sort of small ball starting five. And, you know, they're closing games with that. Like, I, I, I kind of buy the way they close games more than the way they start games, because when they start games, they do that ISO trade-off thing, right? It's like everyone get their looks, everyone go nuts. Gary Trent Jr., you know, feel the ball a little bit, OG, you know, on down the line. When things get real, they go, all right, Pascal, you run pick and roll with Fred. Everyone's going to eat off of this, and it's going to be awesome. And I just kind of feel like uh, a return to that normal is going to be a very welcome thing for the Raptors, who, as we're going to talk about a little bit Bit later on are very much struggling in the half-court offense department right now, mm-hmm. and uh, you would have figured that sort of having everyone slide back into their preferred roles will be very helpful. Um Let's uh, let's quickly hit on OG's defense for a sec here. The offense has obviously been the thing that has been sort of expanded upon since Pascal went out. Um, but OG is obviously remains a, a monstrous defender. Obviously, I feel like Raptors fans are, are very like, attuned to how amazing he is. And you watch the whole league with a very close eye, so I'm sure you are as well. But just sort of the outside perspective, like, is it insane for Raptors fans to be firing up the defensive player of the year campaign for OG. Not everybody's watching around the whole league all the time. You know, you obviously kind of hang on to your own guys and build your cases around them and think it's hilarious that anyone would suggest that the guy on your team is not the best, but uh, is it like a real case to you as someone who observes the league and kind of has a keen eye on everything going on that OG actually should be in that conversation?
1: Yeah, I mean, why shouldn't he be? I don't know that I would have him number one, but he would absolutely be in my top three. Maybe he'd be number one. I'd have to like dig into the film and like compare what he's done to like, say what like Giannis has done or Mm -hmm. what Brooke Lopez has done in Milwaukee. That team has just been like on another level defensively all year. But in terms of like just individual one-on-one defense, Ananobi is like, he's in the the very top tier in the NBA and he is Mm -hmm. so disruptive. He is so physical. He is so quick. He is a really smart defender. Um, I, I think, you know, you just look at the steals numbers and the deflection numbers. He's been at the top of that, those two categories all season long. Um, he starts so many fast breaks for a team that is utterly dependent on fast breaks happening. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, just obviously in terms of just like one-on-one against star wings, even against quick guards, even like if he switched on to big dudes, like he can just hold his own against virtually anybody. And then you also like you will see him off the ball, like just playing passing lanes and being disruptive that way as well. Uh, I, I think he'll always be like, you know, a guy whose biggest strength defensively is just like just sticking him on a guy and mm-hmm. saying, go like make his life hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not like he is a like bad off the ball defender or anything <laughs> like that. He is helpful in that way. And I think he that is an area where he's improved over the last few years, too. Sure. Um, because I think sometimes when you would see, you know, the Raptors are going to do a box and one and put OG on somebody. It's like, this is partially because OG is like insanely good at that. And partially because like he can't make a mistake off the ball. If he's just locked into this one guy.
0: And like mm-hmm.
1: now I think that even that stuff has come along too. Like he doesn't really have any defensive weaknesses at all anymore.
0: Yeah, he's a he's a freak. It's amazing. He's so fun to watch. And honestly, I'm kind of excited for him to be able to kind of expand those horizons again a little bit once Siakam's back. Obviously, he's still been amazing while Siakam's been out. But like the steal numbers have kind of fallen off that crazy start where he was picking up three or more in every single game. And I do wonder if like just having Siakam back, having just guys who you trust to play defense back, maybe gives him a little bit more agency to you know jump those passing lanes a little bit more often. You know, go for the steals when right now. He's maybe playing a bit more of a conservative style so as to not compromise an already kind of compromised team. Um- we're going to continue on here, James. We're going to talk about Scotty Barnes coming up in just a second. He's been a lightning rod of criticism and scrutiny from fickle and I, I think kind of foolish Raptors fans. Uh, we're going to come back on the other side and dig into Scotty's time sans Pascal Siakam as it figures things are going to get easier for him once Pascal gets back too. We'll get to that in just one sec. Before we do that though, got to tell you about our friends over at Turo, a new sponsor we have here lately on the show. It is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. But Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. This is great. If you're someone who likes to travel but doesn't like to drive to the place where you're traveling, This is the way to go. For example, I'm planning to go to New York in March. Kind of planning a little trip. Going to go see some museums. Going to go see some culture and art. Maybe I'll see James while we're there. And uh, we're probably going to drive. But my thinking is, why would I drive when I could take the train down, take the choo-choo, and then get a Turo when I'm in the city for the times that I need it? You probably don't need it all that often once you're actually in New York proper. But if we want to go expand our horizons, drive up to Albany or something like that, we could always use at Turrell Rental. Go and uh, check them out right now. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday or holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just needed to get from A to B. You can test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eye on as well. Many Turo hosts can even deliver the car right to you. That's fantastic. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Forget boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. That's T-U-R-O. Go check them out.
2: Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: All right, we are back with James Herbert, the man who will be hosting me and my wife in New York in March. He just found out about this. Uh... <laughs> I kid. You don't want me in your house. Uh, let's continue on here, James. Oh, Scotty! <laughs> Apartment. Yeah. Look, I don't know. You're, you got the bougie CBS. Uh, I don't know. I figured CBS is just raining homes upon you. Uh, let's... Uh- <laughs> Let's let's move nice. on. Let's let's talk about Scotty Barnes. Um, he's very good. Uh, he's also had some struggles, ups and downs, things like that. The game against the Hawks was kind of like a, a lightning rod game. I think he was really, really good for three and a half quarters, rolled his ankle, missed the end of game shot, uh, was uh, largely responsible for the final play, in the A.J. Griffin bucket, even if I kind of understand everything that went wrong on that play. And I'm willing to chalk it up to mental exhaustion for five guys who had just played a whole lot of minutes in a row. Either way, Scotty Barnes has not taken the sort of clear, obvious leap I think a lot of people anticipated for him coming into the season. There have certainly been things that have improved. I think the playmaking is at, like, a different level this season. He's racking up, like, kind of as a baseline, like, four or five assists every time out. Uh, He can seemingly get to the rim whenever he wants, but it's been a little bit of a situation of, does he want to, and is he going to settle for jumpers, that type of thing. Um, You know, the true shooting is down. The three-point shot was crazy hot to start the year. That's fallen off, mostly since Pascal Siakam left. I don't think that's a coincidence, but James... Like, talk some sense to the people who are worried about Scotty Barnes. I don't think like normal people are worried about Scotty Barnes, but you know, what's your sort of impression of his first fifth of his second season been? Is there any sort of change in the way you view Scotty Barnes and what his ceiling can be, things like that? Or is a lot of the struggle to you a combination of you're young and a second year player and things are hard in the NBA and also Pascal Siakam being out, can't make it easier on anybody. Um, Or is there something else maybe that can explain what's going on with Scotty Barnes and his uneven play so far to start the year?
1: I think his ceiling remains almost limitless. His ceiling remains superstar. He still shows flashes of being that guy. Um, Has it all come together in his second year? No, I, I don't know who was expecting that to happen right away. I I still think over the course of the year, you'll likely see the efficiency go up. I think you'll likely see, I mean, ideally the team gets a little healthier and he can settle into more of a consistent role. But at the same time, one of the the virtues of Scotty Barnes is that his role can scale up and scale down depending on not only who's available and on his team, but on who the opponent is, what defense the opponent is playing, like what the team needs from him at at any given moment. He's not a guy that needs to dominate the ball and be the number one playmaker, but he can go and be that guy. Mm -hmm. Um, He's a guy that I think at his best last year, you were seeing him score in all sorts of ways, hitting the glass um, in the post, creating a little bit from the perimeter. Sometimes he had his mid range shot going and you still see him do all of those things at different times this year I think Mm -hmm. just what hasn't happened is he's come in and it's all been easy and fun and he's taken this like big obvious step upward where now we're talking about him as an all-star and I think that is probably frustrating as much for Scotty as it is for fans because I think he wants it all and he wants it all right now and a lot of what you're seeing out there is I think both he and the team experimenting a little bit he is a guy that can just kind of do everything, but doesn't come into every game with the mindset of like, this is exactly how I can be effective. And so I think the results have been a little bit uneven game to game and even within games like the Atlanta game was a really interesting one because in some ways um, it was he was incredible. I think if you just talk to most people like halfway through the game or in in the third quarter, like say this might be his best performance of, of the entire season. He had some really nice yeah. passes to go with the the bully ball that he was playing when he was just getting to the basket and just doing little hook shots over people and getting to the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think later on, you know, he had the little ankle thing and his decision-making got a little bit iffy. He started, like, you know, he'd do the thing where he'd, like, size up somebody like a clincapella and, like, Dribble it back and forth between his legs a bunch of times and then take a contested jumper that he could have had without any of the dribbling. And <laughs> I can understand why at home you kind of look at that like, oh, like like this is not this is not necessarily the shot that the Raptors need. He blew that layup on the final possession where Fred Van drew the extra defender exactly like he was supposed to and gift wrapped it to Scotty, And I agreed with what Alvin Williams said on the call was like, Scotty's just wanted to get the ball out of his hands quickly so he could make sure that they got the shot off, but he could have mm-hmm. dunked that thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it got down to like pressure time in overtime and there were some possessions there that were questionable as well. And whether you want to chalk that up to he had, hurt his ankle a little bit he had played a ton of minutes or the hawks defense was ratcheted up and it was like a difficult environment like i, I don't know mm-hmm. um but i would say all that says to me is like it was imperfect it was still an encouraging game overall and to me just from my vantage point it was hilarious to look at the the box score after and be like this man took 29 shots <laughs> <laughs> I did this, like, long feature on him last year all these people were telling me how it was such a like long-term project of making him realize that he needs to be aggressive himself and look for his own shot so he could open up opportunities for other people. Well, I think he's Mm -hmm. learned that lesson,
0: so that's good. Yeah, he um, yeah, like that's what they need, especially right now when they're playing with seven yeah. guys on Saturday, right? Like they they need him and OG, but probably mostly Scotty because he's like the guy who can get to his spots the most, and I kind of trust his touch and close the most of any of these guys, even yes. if it's been a little uneven to start this year. Like that's what you need, and. and- I had no problem with him emptying the clip. And most of those misses, again, came after the ankle thing. I don't know if you can totally chalk it up entirely to the ankle, but also, it's obviously, you're hurt. It's going to be a thing. The fact that he came back in the game was stunning to me, frankly. Um, The... The, the idea of him being good at a lot of things and kind of able to do a bunch of stuff. Like, they've tried him out as point guard. They've played him as, like, a typical sort of creation-heavy wing. They've played him as a center. Um, and I've actually kind of liked the rim protection stuff we've seen from him this season in small doses. I like think that's been a pretty notable improvement defensively, even if the perimeter stuff is kind of waxed and waned. Um, I, I guess... Last year, when they kind of threw Scotty into all these different positions, I thought it was, this is great. Like, they're not sort of trying to channel him into being one type of player. They're just saying, do all the stuff. And he was pretty good at all the stuff. And he learned how to do all the stuff as the season progressed and I think got more comfortable doing all of the stuff. At what point do you think it's time to stop having a guy do all the stuff and maybe kind of focus on a particular you know, a particular lane? Like, or is there a time for that? I, I I, guess my question is, is there a point at which the sort of Scotty the generalist, the way they've kind of had him do all these sorts of different things, wear all these different hats, is there a point where that impedes development and, you know, makes it so you're never, you're going to be pretty good at a lot of things but not great at one thing? What's your sort of view on that? And is there a time in the future here for the Raptors where they're going to have to kind of decide what position Scotty plays? I know deciding who what position anyone plays is not a Raptors thing at all, and I see you shaking your head. I think I know where you're going with this one, but I think it's a (laughs) worthwhile question considering the fact that he has been asked to do a whole lot of different things, and you know, I think it's still kind of an open question as to like what end game Scotty ultimately looks like. I don't think he's ever going to be a traditional big or a traditional point guard or a, like mm.
1: traditional just like even even if you're, you're going to say he's going to be a, like star wing man. I don't think he will only do star wing things. Um, yeah, but I think that's normal. Like what is Luka Doncic's position? What is what is Jimmy Butler's position? Yeah, like if he's on the court with Kyle Lowry, then Jimmy Butler is your your wing. If he's not, he's your point guard. And even within a given possession, he can go from being the point guard initiating to, Oh, now he's got the ball on the post. Like Scotty is going to be that type of player. I think he will always be a generalist in some sense as for like Mm -hmm. where exactly the boundaries are. um, I think it can look like when you're watching the Raptors and when you're watching Scotty in particular, that the boundaries just don't exist. Right. And I understand that, but I don't think that's actually the case. He is not coming down and just, jacking pull-up threes over contested hands. He is a guy who has different priorities when he's on the court of like where his spots are, where he wants to get to. Um, I don't think he just has the absolute free reign and green light to do whatever. I think he has a lot of
0: freedom because he I should... I also think that's how Either. he's wired, by the way. like That's not really the way he rolls.
1: Right. Um, <clears throat> but I think he... They want him to shoot the open three when it comes to him and he's in rhythm. They don't want him turning that down. I don't think there's a huge emphasis on him taking like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, threes a game just yet. I think all of this stuff will happen in time. And I think a lot of the stuff that you're talking about when it comes to figuring out exactly what his role is on this team I don't know that you need to sit down and have a big conversation unless it starts to be a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. I,
1: I think this is maybe a little bit of a, a philosophical thing. The way Dwayne Casey used to do it was at the beginning of the year, hand out these roll cards. <laughs> where there can be no confusion. And he said, you get three, you get one, put it in your wallet and put another one in your locker. And then there's a third one. You have to give that to your agent because he, <laughs> he doesn't want anybody (laughs) to be confused about what the coaching staff wants from the player Mm -hmm. and the way that he tried to navigate that not being stifling as he would say, but your role can change. If you show me in practice and games that we need to update the role card, then we'll do that. Like the, the Raptors under Nick nurse have gotten away from that. And I think your role can change depending on, Opponent, depending on lineup, depending on how you are feeling, um, depending (laughs) on on a whole lot of things. And I think the idea is that you don't want these guys feeling like they are just robots or boxed in or, or limited. And they feel like, well, if I can show it a little bit, like in what is not like a strictly equal opportunity offense, but an offense that I think always has empowered anybody to go and make plays when like something is there There, there's nobody on the team who's like not allowed to dribble the ball up after a rebound if there's nobody pressuring them there's nobody on the team who is not allowed to shoot a Mm three-pointer um there there's a lot of room for growth for a young player in a system where it feels like you're allowed to be creative and i think that is a positive thing For Scotty, I think what the team needs from him is going to evolve over the course of the year. If they have a full, um, healthy lineup and he's out there with Siakam, then he's naturally going to slide into a little bit more of a complementary role. His cutting will probably be more important to the team. His screening will be a bit more important to the team than they are at at this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't really think you have to make it a whole thing where you say these are the five things you have to do tonight for us mm-hmm. unless Pascal Siakam comes back everybody gets healthy and you're like whoa Scotty seems like he is unsure of himself out there or the opposite maybe Scotty is like forcing things out there and trying to get shots up like I think once if you see that kind of problem then you deal with it but I don't think that they go into a season or a stretch of games uh, thinking all right we have to like we have to recalibrate this whole thing and tell everybody exactly what their roles are. I don't think that's really how the team works.
0: Yeah, and I think with a guy like Scotty who can do so many different things, it would be silly to like cut off any of those tendrils of his game, right? Like the malleability is a feature and not a bug. And yeah. what's going to happen is you're going to run into mistakes because he's trying to do a whole lot of things and there's just going to be times where it doesn't all work out perfectly and that's entirely fine for someone who is 21 years old and still even in games where he doesn't look so hot has like three or four flashes of like oh my god this this guy is barely even real it's unbelievable um yeah, yeah. and i also think like it really can't be understated the importance of pascal siakam and how much he makes everything easier for everybody how much he Opens up the transition game, which is a place where Scotty absolutely shines. Like there, it's just it's yeah. going to be easier for everybody, Mo- probably mostly Scotty, uh, more than anybody else. Once Siakam gets back, which is hopefully very, very soon. Um, can I do? Can James, I do a
1: quick rewind here? Yeah, please um, do. So I want to go back to Dwayne Casey's last season as coach when Nick Nurse basically the culture like,
0: reset, I'm, baby.
1: There you go. Redesign the offense and what what was the point of that the point of that was they wanted to get better quality shots um Mm -hmm. they wanted to get up a bunch more threes they they also wanted to pass the ball more and they wanted to relieve some of the pressure on at the time Lowry and DeRozan Mm -hmm. and they didn't want to get into a playoff series and have teams just take the ball out of those guys hands and have nobody else know what to do and they'll have to like Oh, oh God! What, what, what now? They want sure. naturally everybody in the offense to feel like they had a role to play, to feel like confident in themselves, to feel like they can put the ball on the floor and and make stuff happen. And I remember talking to Nick about this, and I've heard him use this this phrase since then for years. Is he talks about how in the offense, like naturally, the ball just kind of gravitates to your best players. Yeah. So he wasn't worried about so much like Kyle and Damar not feeling like they were as involved as before or not feeling like they were able to get a rhythm and get their touches because the idea was in the flow of the game, like the the other players on the court know how good those guys are (laughs) and they're they're going to be able to initiate and create. That's what the the team is going to need. And I think that is by and large been the Raptors philosophy um, under nurse and it makes sense. And I think it's only way way more extreme than it was before. Now, I think because we're when we're talking about this stuff, we're talking about half court basketball. Well, They play less half court basketball than any other team in the (laughs) NBA. They play less half court basketball than anybody has in in this era of basketball. Like they want to play fast. They want the ball to move and they want to avoid having to draw up plays for anybody, let alone like drop a play like, all right, we got it. We got to get Scotty a touch here, which yet they can do it. But that's that is not like the, the thing that is going to drive their success What's going to drive their success is they're going to be really opportunistic and take whatever's there and try to take it as fast as humanly possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the idea of the Raptors playing with the extremes, because that's uh, going to lead into our final segment here, James. It's almost like we planned this thing out beforehand. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk about how extreme the Raptors are coming up in just one second here. Before we do that, however, i got to tell you about our friends over at LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have the access to the best qualified candidates available, and that's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Super easy to post a job. You just go to LinkedIn Jobs, you post the job, and then you have a little purple hiring frame that you put into your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you are, in fact, Hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly optimize who you'd like to interview and hire. You want to finish the year strong. You want to have your team set up to go into 2023 optimized and ready to perform for you. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash NBA. That is LinkedIn.com slash
2: Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: And we continue on rounding up the show here with James Herbert of CBSSports.com. Talking about extremes, baby. Uh, I I wanted to kind of dig into this because the Raptors are a team of extreme extremes. Uh, It's just like kind of how they roll. Transition, they do it more than anybody else. They score basically better than anybody else. They're second in the league right now per cleaning the glass in their efficiency. First by a mile in frequency and points added per 100 possessions via uh, transition. It's just startling. On the other side of things, half-court offense, they are 29th in half-court offensive efficiency. Not great, Bob, although it's fallen off quite steeply since Siakam went out. You would figure it's going to bounce back up a little bit Uh, they were kind of floating between 18th and 24th whenever Siakam was playing Uh, so they've gone on a steep downturn but they, as you said they are in the half court less than anybody else they uh, offensive rebound to the extremes they like to do that quite a bit like they're just a team that sort of straddles the end of all these spectrums on these stats. And then I guess the most extreme one is the fact that they take nine more field goals per game than their opponents. Uh, They've expanded upon that differential from last year somehow, when it was pretty nuts that it was even happening then. Um, I guess my question to you is, James, do you think just like... I have a hunch that a lot of this is by design and that they're actually trying to do these things and they're succeeding because they're well coached and have the players to do it. Um, Some of it's probably luck and weirdness. The fact that they're number one in all of these things doesn't seem like it's super sustainable. But my question to you is, James, like how sustainable is it for the Raptors to be this team that kind of games the system by being extreme in all these different areas and do you think it's by design? Do you think it's something that can hold up and actually lead to success, both regular season and beyond? I think it's absolutely by design. The fact mm-hmm. that they're
1: this good, like this is the best transition team I've ever seen in my life. I, I don't know that that's going to hold up exactly the same all year. I mean, the stat you referenced, like clean the glass has a, a stack called points added per hundred in transition. Mm-hmm. With, like, takes into account the two things that they've been incredible at, which is like frequency and then how efficiently they score. And they're at like plus 5.9 per yeah. hundred this year. Last year is plus 3.6. Uh, last year was already crazy and like really good. This year is a whole other level. Um, it is like obviously part of their identity. Nurse wanted them to get more shots than the other team last year. Um, coming in but I don't I think the goal that he stated at the beginning of the year I forget what the exact number of field goal attempts he wanted to the differential to be like it ended up being modest like they destroyed what he was hoping for and now they're way way better mm-hmm. um so I think in some ways it's worked better than than the staff could have predicted but that's how a lot of innovation happens in the NBA is you try something you think it might work and it's like oh my god this works even better better than we thought. Uh, the Raptors are in a position to play this way because they look different than most other teams. Uh, I did a story. Well, I didn't two stories are touched on this one last year. I just did a story about like the new possession game about mm-hmm. how certain like creative coaches in the NBA nurse being one of them were trying to. Win the possession game in a much more daring and fun and exciting way than the way coaches used to. Where it used to be, you thought of the possession game, you thought about teams that played really slowly. They wanted to limit their turnovers. They wanted to not give up any offensive rebounds. They're kind of boring. Now, it's like we want to like cause chaos. Yeah, is what a lot of these teams say uh, that have more possession than the others because they want to pound the glass. They want to run like hell. Ideally, they're not turning the ball over much themselves either. And the Raptors, by the way, are not. And they yep. did not turn the ball over a ton last year either. Um, and they're just going to like basically tire other teams out and tilts um, the math in their favor, because even if you are not super efficient in the half court, if you were getting way more opportunities than the other team, like you're going to have a pretty good chance to overcome that. And they have been overcoming mm-hmm. that consistently. Um, I, I think even though the half court offense has been bad since Siakam has been out, their offense overall, like if you just look at the numbers over the course of the season, is probably above where a lot of people thought it would be, and that's entirely because of transition. So yeah. I think naturally Siakam, when he gets back, the half court offense has the, its big focal point, and those numbers should get better. But and if the Raptors could have it all and be amazing at everything, then they would. Mm-hmm. But if if you were to just like you know, make a couple of trades or play different lineups. So you're like, all right, like we need to absolutely make sure we have pristine spacing. Um, but then suddenly they're not forcing the turnovers. They're not hitting the glass. Then you have a team that looks more in line with what you would think would be successful. But like, I guarantee you, you have a way worse team <laughs> because like th- this thing has been proven to work. And and the other story that, that I'd, I'd referenced here. Um, I remember thinking about how the league is resizing this year more teams are going with bigger lineups like up and down the positional spectrum and I think in a lot of ways the the Raptors set the pace with that and sure um, then deciding they're just going to prioritize length size athleticism and they understand the trade off that they're making but they've seen the results with it they really have.
0: For sure. And I guess on the flip side, with the defense that they've played as well, you want to go more extremes on defense. Uh, they are number one in transition defense as well by like a lot. And their half-court defense yes. has been kind of butt. It's been 24th uh, per cleaning the glass, which again, I think a Weird. lot is tied to... St- I mean, not having Siakam, he's the guy who cleans up all their messes and makes their half-court crazy-ass defense yeah. kind of work. But um, they're incredible in transition as well. That feels maybe a little bit less easy to kind of sustain it. I don't know that feels maybe more prone to bad luck getting you, although they are just very good at getting back and and they cover a lot of ground. They're long as hell Um with the defense. Again, it kind of averages out to something better than average because they're kind of really, really owning in a very important and sort of number swinging section of the game, which is transition mm-hmm. because the numbers are so inflated in terms of efficiency. Typically, um, you know, w- where are you at with like them kind of, Evening out defensively, like, do you think there's maybe like a happy medium between their half court and transition or can they have it all once they're fully healthy? Can they be both an amazing transition defense and an amazing half court defense once they get Siaka back and they kind of reintegrate and look like they did at the start of the season as I throw my wedding ring on the ground like a fool? Sorry, wife. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, just uh, like where, where are you at with like the extremes on the defensive end and whether there's like a, a sort of happy medium for them to find there as well? I think they do have the personnel to be an elite half-court defensive team, and
1: we've seen them be there in, in the past. Uh, probably some of that is the Siakam thing. I also, like, I, I sometimes wonder about the noise in the transition versus half-court, how that is all calculated. Cause Sometimes sure. it's like, well, is a is semi-transition possession counting as, as transition, or is it counting in the half-court? Does it is that just based on, like, how quickly that shot happened to go up, and if it were, like, one second later, it would have been the other category. Whatever. Like, sure, it's a little sure. messy. I think the defense has been really good in general. The the half court defense numbers are a bit surprisingly low, but then again, like they've had to. Kind of get through this stretch, not just without Siakam, but like there's been other injuries as well. Like when, yeah. when Precious you has been out sometimes, Boucher's out sometimes, like even like Otto Porter's a guy that he's not like one of their better defenders, but he's a stabilizing guy who's not going to make a lot of mistakes. He's long.
0: Mm-hmm. um
1: I, I think he's a solid defender um in a team concept too. Um, they've just been having to kind of plug holes especially with the second unit they weren't known as like a super deep team heading into the season anyway um you've seen some lineups with like malachi flynn and fred van vliet where suddenly they're not this like enormous team across all five positions or four of the five anymore um and that's going to change how you how you play defensively in the half court but i i think what's what's super weird just looking at the numbers is that they've been Better at transition defense in terms of that, that stat we referenced earlier that like points added this year than they were last year while giving up more transition opportunities. Like The, mm-hmm. the frequency has gone up a little bit, um, but they've just gotten the stops anyway. I think some of it is just you look at their personnel. Like They're long. They can cover ground. They can get back. Teams might try to push against them, and then all of a sudden, oh, there's Fred Van Vliet coming from behind just like getting his hands on the ball and knocking it off <laughs> your knee. Or Always like,
0: hearing footsteps. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And you know, like it's so weird that I that my mind goes to Fred first because he's like six foot nothing, and he's not a chase down block guy, but he chases guys down just in a different way. But then, or it might be Coloco or Ananobi or Barnard, whoever it is, like we have seen those guys make crazy defensive plays in transition. Um, so I I think that is something they totally have going for them. I think also sometimes. The Raptors, and this is something I had in, in that piece that, that I referenced the resizing piece. Um, there's something J- Jamal Mosley, the coach of the Magic, said to me is like, you can put pressure on the other team by crashing the offensive glass. So they think they have to send more bodies to the boards, and then they're not leaking out and getting easy buckets in transition. And I think the Raptors, more than any other team in the NBA, aside from perhaps Memphis, have made offensive rebounding a part of their identity. Mm -hmm. So teams are coming into these games thinking we have to keep these guys off the offensive glass. And guess what? If you're sending a whole bunch of guys in there to do that, then it's hard to like just get those like one on nothing layups uh, on the other end. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that is a part of the math that I hadn't personally considered until very recently. But I think that's definitely like part of this conversation is how the hell are they doing this when everybody thought you had to make a trade off like the Raptors don't believe in that trade off. and They never have.
0: Yeah, their whole thing is uh we're long enough to like not have to trade off anything cuz we can cover all the ground and do all of the things and uh I mean it's working pretty well. I don't know. They they're such a weird team, man. I love it. They're like I could talk about this weird team for days and i guess i do that every day you week. do so I, I do i i can and do uh but i could talk to you james about this team for days as well we don't have time for that today we will have you back on again i'm sure in the near future as we like to work in as often as we can here james uh we're gonna wrap it there thank you so much for being on anything you would like to promote for the good people out there
1: um yeah sure so I, i've written a few things this year that might be of interest one is that the nba is resizing Piece. Uh, I think the headline was from small ball to tall ball uh, on CBS <laughs> Sports. I wrote a profile of Jose Alvarado that quotes Fred Van Bleet extensively. Hell yeah. Um, which was that was a really fun conversation to have. Like Fred watched Jose's uh, pre-draft workout for the Raptors and it's kind of was like, you know, I, I saw a bit of myself in, in in that guy and has followed his career and is, you know, that, that was just like a cool conversation to get his perspective as somebody else who, came up undrafted and is trying to do the same thing that, that Fred did. Um, and I had a, a little bit of a feature on Shea Gilgis Alexander's defense go up a week and a half ago. So if you want some CanCon, uh, there, there is that. I mean, that guy is like in the freaking MVP conversation now, It's it's really wild.
0: We don't get to get into this right now, but he is single-handedly making me like the Thunder, which I don't like. Yeah, i right. Uh, we we have had plenty of texts about this. You, you can. <laughs> I'm gonna turn your little stupid smile off now. And we're gonna wrap the show. <laughs> That's going to do it. We'll back, be back tomorrow. It's another Whatevs Wednesday with Katie Heindel as we uh, look ahead to the game against the Nets tomorrow, and we'll probably come up with some sort of fun little gimmick as we usually do with Katie. Uh, later in the week, I'll break down the Nets game on Thursday, and then, who knows, maybe some kind of guest for Friday that we have yet to book. Uh, we will wrap it there as... Uh, and there we go. A Jared Allen. Man, Jared Allen on the Nets. Wouldn't that be cool, huh? Uh, <laughs> for the video uh, crew, uh, James just held up his Jared Allen gnome bobblehead which is a really great piece of uh, of, uh, is it a bobblehead gnome or is it just a gnome is there doesn't bobble it doesn't bobble Fair enough. Well, either way, uh, he should exp- uh, replace the Expedia gnome or what? The Travelocity gnome? I don't know. We're not sponsored by any of these companies. Let's just stop mentioning them. We're going to wrap it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you tomorrow. In the meantime, go listen to Lockdown Leafs. Make it your second listen of the day with Mike and Dave breaking down a loss in overtime to the Islanders last night, which kind of stunk. So go check that out as they will make sense of it all. And that show sure does not stink. James does not stink either. We'll talk to you again soon, buddy. And we will talk to you, listener.